the service, every first Sunday of the month, leaders after the service down front here to pray with you. So elders and other leaders, if you need prayer for something, man, just come and get it. Like that's what it's all about. The Bible says we have not because we ask not. Ask and you will receive that your joy will be complete is what the Bible says. And so if you're hurting spiritually, physically, emotionally, if you um, have something that's just weighing on you or something you want to celebrate and give praise to God, it's good for us to do that together. But we're just here to lead you in prayer. So we encourage you to take, um, take part in that if, if you need that. Um, we all need that. But it will be here for you. Uh, there is new artwork in the lobby. And so we encourage you to check that out. Justin Eccles, where's Justin at? Right there. So uh, if you're an artist in any sense and are interested in what we're doing artistically at the Vine, check in with him. Um, and what you'll see in the lobby is a slice of that where a class he's been teaching about how to use art to share your story. And so um, check out the new artwork in the lobby as you're leaving today. We also have a new website. And I don't know if any of you all have seen it. Um, it looks great. Uh, Laurel, wave your hand here. Um, yeah, sorry, Laurel. Uh, but give her, uh, like, give, give thanks to Laurel when you see her because she's worked really hard at getting our new website off the ground. It looks great. So would you say thanks to her when you see her? Uh, we want to be a church that's good at that. Um, in addition, if you've subscribed to the podcast, you'll probably have to re-subscribe. So just go to the sermons tab on the website and then re-subscribe to the podcast from there because it has a new feed if you're using an app on your phone for that. And then finally, we want to say thanks to Scott Welch. Where's Scott at? My man, hermano. Uh, so Scott and Ben Roberts, they worked really hard. Was it Saturday? Yesterday, which was Saturday. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Saturday, thus yesterday. Um, pulling snow, large mounds of snow off of our roof. Because that stuff gets really heavy and it can damage the roof. So say thanks to Scott when you see him and to Ben Roberts. Ben's over here, blue shirt, wave your hand, bud. Everybody's all shy this morning. No, we want to say thank you. And um, that's good for our church to re be reminded about how we can give thanks to one another for the different ways that we serve um, the local church. And so thanks to Scott and Ben for serving in that way. All right, you have a Bible? Let's open it up to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And we've been a series in Matthew and a short mini-series here in what's called the Beatitudes. Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. And today is blessed are the merciful. Verse 7. Matthew 5. Matthew 5 verse 7. Blessed are the merciful. Why? Well, because or for they shall receive mercy. You will be blessed. You will experience joy and a sense of settledness. The, the restlessness of our soul can kind of dissipate as we experience blessing. In, in a relationship with God that will be united and healthy, that's the essence of blessing. You will experience that as you experience being merciful. And if that happens... You will just increase in the mercy that you will receive. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what Jesus is saying. So let's unpack this together. Okay, so start with a wild question. Has anybody in this room 
I'm going to give you five bucks if it's true. Has any of us in this room ever been to Albania? Nobody? No, you haven't. You have. Justin has been to Albania. Okay, because you guys used to live in Turkey. All right. I don't have my wallet on me. I could do the, I could do the cash app. God. <laughs> I'm going to give you five bucks, Justin. Um, that's awesome. All right. So, <laughs> so Albania. I learned about Albania this week. All right. And uh, interesting fun fact is the Parkway Diner down this, just on the corner right here, they're run by people from, uh, it's run by people from Albania. And I look it up on the map. If you don't know where it is, uh, it's just imagine the, the boot of Italy, if you can imagine that, that sticks out into the Mediterranean and the heel of the boot of Italy. And then just go straight east about 50, 100 miles over the Mediterranean and that's right where Albania is, okay? And I learned this week that Albania has been a country that's kind of been entrenched in strife in the last 30 years. The government fell in, I think, 91. There was like a period of mass, like, anarchy, like no government at all uh, in 1997. And I also learned this week that in Albania there's this cultural practice called kunan. Kunan. And... It's this practice that, that is attributed to an ancient teacher, I think a religious teacher, many hundreds of years ago. But basically, it's the concept that blood requires blood. Okay? The idea is this. If someone kills a family member or some gross insult to a family member, then to uphold the honor of the family, you need to administer revenge. You need to pursue revenge for the sake of honor. So a lot of cultures in our world are what's called honor-shame cultures. And it's kind of complicated, hard to understand. Where we go in North Africa is an honor-shame culture. One of the ideas is this, that your perception of honor has to be upheld as one of the highest values in your life. Okay? So if you dishonor me, I have to do something about that. Lest I'm perceived as not having honor. You with me? And so, um, in some sense, it would be immoral, based on their moral code, to not seek out revenge. Because this is a loss of honor. And being perceived as honorable is the highest value. Now, this typically is only with males. So, young men or, or, or older men. And in Albania, to this day, this cycle of revenge is permeating the culture. It's tearing the country apart in many places. You have families that just live in this constant state and bear the weight of fear, right? This is a sample from an article I read this week from 2017. It says this. It is said that revenge is a dish best served cold, and in Albania it can be served very cold indeed. Disputes known as blood feuds can span generations Sucking in descendants who have nothing to do with the original insult or murder. Though they have a long history, blood feuds remain potent today. With 68 families in a northern region of Albania currently unable to leave their homes because of them. We visited Nico, a 13-year-old boy, in his tiny hamlet in northern Albania. Nico is said to be, quote, in blood. In other words, under threat of death for supposed crimes 
committed before he was even born. Nico lives with his elderly grandparents and is in danger every time he leaves his home. Dozens of other families in the northern region of Albania also live virtual self-imposed house arrest in fear of their lives. So does this sound like blessing? Does this sound like a life of blessing? It doesn't. It sounds like hell on earth to me, right? Can you imagine that? The weight of that fear that you just live with? I mean, that, that constant state of fear, that, that could drive you literally insane. And that's what cycles of revenge always produce. It's like this living hell on earth, whether it's Israeli-Palestinian conflict or any other conflict throughout world history where there's a cycle of revenge. It's literally hell on earth. A Chinese proverb I, I, I read this week says this, before you embark on a journey of revenge, dig two graves. You get the point, right? But this idea of, of revenge, it runs deep in our culture, right? Our movies glamorize it in some sense. How many hundreds of movies have we watched where the plot line is, bad guy does bad things, good guy exacts revenge, movie over, we go home happy, right? Like that's so many movies. Bad guy does bad things, good guy gets revenge, it's over. Like this revenge impulse is so near and dear to our hearts because it's just simply part of our fallen human nature. Great quote, well not great, but like illustrative quote from Muhammad Ali. He says this, I'm a fighter. I believe in the eye for eye business. I'm no cheek turner. I got no respect for a man who won't hit back. You kill my dog, you better hide your cat. It's a typical flair from Muhammad Ali. But we all relate to what he says, right? Like this cycle, this impulse, maybe not a cycle, but the impulse for revenge is as normal as breathing. It just is. We don't even have to think about it. It just shows up in our hearts. Like a perfect way to illustrate this is, you ever see two two-year-olds get in a fight? Like one slaps the other, the other one slaps back, right? We've all, it's funny because we've all seen it. But what that illustrates is you don't have to teach revenge. It just is. You have to teach mercy. You have to teach mercy. You don't have to teach revenge. That's just natural. That's just natural, fallen human nature. Sinful human nature looks like revenge, not mercy. Now listen, a desire for justice is not wrong. That's a good thing. That's a reflection of the image of God in human beings. But the question is this, what do we do with this desire to have things made right, for justice to be served. How do we go about it? And who's the one who will actually take responsibility to take care of it? Right? Is there a place for mercy? Is there a place for mercy? Like who has the power? And where does the power come from to turn off that revenge impulse? Because here's what we're going to see this morning. No matter what our movies tell us, the, these movies we watch over and over again, the, the endless cycle of revenge that eventually turns into hell on earth,
It doesn't have to be that way. What does Jesus say? He says there's an alternate route. There's a route of blessing. There's a route of blessing. There's a better and more blessed way. He says it's possible. You don't have to experience the hell on earth route. You can go the other route. And it's going to be great. It's a promise. It's going to be sweet. You're going to taste and see that the Lord is good. You're going to taste and see the blessing of God if you listen to what he says. Listen to what he says, Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Let's just reword this according to Peter. What does Peter say? Very similar. He says this, 1 Peter 3, 9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for this, for to this you were called, again, that you may obtain a blessing. So he's, he's saying there's a reward for you. There's a reward. You're going to obtain in the future more blessing if you believe what I say and, and put the revenge impulse aside. Listen to Proverbs twenty twenty two. This, this logic is so powerful this morning, and we're going to return to it. Proverbs twenty twenty two says this: Do not say, "I will repay evil." Don't seek revenge. Don't try to handle the situation all in your own power. Well, why? What does the proverb say? It says you can wait. You can put the revenge impulse aside and choose waiting. Wait for who? Wait for the Lord, because he will, future, deliver you. Don't say, I'm going to repay evil. Leave it to the Lord. See how that's a, a faith mechanism? Like, I have to believe by faith that God here is going to do what he says. He's promised to deliver me when I wait for him. So then I have to ask, by faith, is he right? Do I believe that? Lord, do I trust you? See, most of us in this room, when, we, when I open the sermon with an illustration about Albanian blood feuds, you're like, okay, yeah, I get it, but that's not me. And you're right, that's probably not going to be you. Most of us probably aren't going to be caught up in like actually physically violent cycles of revenge. Some of us may have, but it's probably rare. But for most of us, it, it'll be the, the more tame version, right? It'll be the giving someone the cold shoulder because they didn't treat me the way that I felt like I needed to be treated. It's the impulse to want to yell at the person in front of you that's not driving the way that you think they should be driving, right? It's the standoffishness with that person who just doesn't really align with you politically. Maybe it's a temptation to be more aggressive than necessary on social media. Maybe it sounds like snarkiness, sarcasm. I know for a lot of us, this is where it gets a little darker and probably very prevalent is where something bad happens to you or is perpetrated against you. And you would never say this out loud, but internally in your heart, you're just kind of hoping something would be, bad would happen to that person. Or maybe, you know, you've been genuinely wronged and it seems like that person who has wronged you isn't getting what you think they deserve. 
Like you're, you're willing to do the proverb and wait for the Lord, but you're like, kind of like, Lord, hurry up. And this person clearly needs some wrath because I'm in a position to really, you know, have a perspective on what's right and wrong and to judge things perfectly. So, Lord, you should just kind of submit to my will and get on with it here because this person clearly needs wrath. But it seems like to you this person's not getting wrath. They're getting mercy. Like, what's going on, Lord? A lot of us, we've got family dysfunction that runs deep because of lack of mercy. And there's been like the silent treatment maybe for years. Or you got these gatherings where it's like eggshells for everybody. Because a lack of mercy extended one to another. Like you need that hit home. Like these aren't vengeance, violent blood feuds, but they can be extremely painful. They can torture our souls. They can produce a type of relational hell on earth. So, so the question is, what's the solution to all this misery that we can experience? Jesus tells us right here. saying, it doesn't have to be the route of misery. It can be the route of blessing. And blessing is equated with being a person of mercy. Being a person of mercy. Blessed are those who are merciful. At peace, the shalom of God, the, the integrity of God, the, the togetherness of God will be experienced by those who pursue mercy because they're going to have more mercy towards them in the future. That's Matthew 5, 7. So he's saying, you want mercy? Man, then be a person who gives it. If you want mercy, if you want to be a recipient of mercy, I've got to be one who gives it. That's the logic of Matthew 5, 7 in this beatitude, right? And so it's, it's a good question to ask that we can all relate to. Who doesn't want to receive mercy? Like, who doesn't want to receive it? Like, I know I, I need it. I know I want it. And, and I recognize there's this irony in my heart, maybe you can relate to this, is that I want quick justice for those that harm me, and I want quick mercy and leniency when I'm the one doing the harming. You recognize that? Those are just the, the default impulses. Like when someone sins against me, we want fire from heaven to come and consume them. Like, God, don't you see what a big deal this is? But when I sin against someone else, we just kind of assume that, oh, yeah, God's going to be merciful to me. We assume his mercy. I mean, is it really that big of a deal what I did? See, everybody wants mercy. I think a really illustrative test case for us to just think about and look at is involving a situation with the actor Liam Neeson that took place in the last couple of weeks. And some of you who read headlines will remember the story. For those of you that don't, I'll bring you up to speed. So Liam Neeson was promoting a, um, a recent film that he was in, the typical narrative that I described of good guy, or I'm sorry, bad guy does bad things, good guy gets revenge movie over. It was one of those movies. And he was talking about an experience in his life when he felt that revenge impulse very deeply in a very harmful way. So he was sharing with this reporter who was interviewing him how a, a female friend of his many, many years ago had been brutally raped. And he found out that the person who raped her was a black man. And he said that after that happened, he would walk the streets hoping that he would run into a black man that would maybe initiate something or he could initiate something with him. 
and he would lash out and harm that person with violence. He was thinking about this and just placing himself in situations where that could happen intentionally, right? And he wasn't sharing this with any sense of bravado. He was, sensing, he was sharing this from a place of repentance. I don't know if Liam Neeson's a Christian or not, but it sounded like he was regretful. He was not saying this as something he was proud of. He was saying this like, man, it really shocked me what I was capable of if you put me in the right situation. He's confessing his sin. Now, am I surprised that a human being would do this? No, because the Bible tells us that human nature is wicked. We're capable of horrible things. So we shouldn't be surprised. That doesn't make it right at all. But we shouldn't be surprised. But the backlash on social media, I thought, was something really interesting to consider. See, the, the majority of the response was one of virtue signaling, disgust, and condemnation. Now, is the, the, does this kind of a story stir deep emotions in us? Absolutely. Especially if you're a black person. Like, that's jarring. and just like, whoa, I got to get my bearings. But I, I didn't see any hint of mercy for Liam Neeson when he confesses his sin. Like, is there a place for that when he confesses this horrific sin? Like, if we were in his shoes, how would we like to be treated, right? How would the person who, hey, there's Ben and his family. Hey. <laughs> there's mercy for you, Ben. Where are you? It's all good. Um, but here's the question. Um, like, where does the power for mercy come from? It comes from the realization that I would want to receive mercy myself. Right? The person who lashes out on social media, how would they like to be treated when they're found out in their sin? Right? Is it possible that mercy... See, I think it all boils down to this. We don't have a big view of our own sin before our eyes. And we don't have a big view of God and his mercy also before our eyes. Said differently, I've got a small view of my sin. And if I have a small view of my sin, then I've got a very small view of what God has done about my sin. Make sense? But if my sin is a big deal, like the Bible says it is, like Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. If we have that realistic idea about our sin, if we're really honest about the things that go through our minds, if we, if we put aside the self-righteousness and really get honest about our sin, and that, that's, that's a big deal. And then when the gospel comes crashing into our lives and interrupts us, and, and, and we see how God has forgiven us of our sin, then we get this huge view of his mercy. See that? It's no longer little sin, little mercy. It's no, it's what the Bible says. Big sin, I'm a big sinner, and God's mercy is more, like we sing. Praise the Lord, his mercy is more. His mercy is bigger than my sin, right? 
And Jesus this morning wants to commend that to us as the power to become a merciful person. Jesus wants us to respond this way to the, the Liam Neeson story. See, we don't, we don't try to climb up the moral high ground. We don't virtue signal. No, it's this in light of hearing a story like that. I may not have done or felt what he felt, but I have sinned in a thousand other ways, and God has forgiven me and shown me mercy over and over again. See, I've tasted the sweetness of mercy. So how could I not want to share that with other sinners when they confess it? Right? It's such a blessing to receive this mercy that I've experienced when I've sinned. So then it's also a blessing to extend it. That's the impulse that the Holy Spirit wants to create in our hearts when it comes to mercy. Now, to, to kind of tie it all together, Jesus told a very powerful story in Matthew 18. Just turn a couple pages over to Matthew 18. And this is where Jesus just kind of boils it down. Like where do you want to, where does the power come from? to be a Matthew 5, 7 type person? Where does the power come from to participate and be a citizen in his kingdom, in his place of dwelling, where he rules and reigns? Like what he says is, you're gonna be blessed in relationship with me when you are a person of mercy. So where does that power to be that kind of person come from? It comes from right here. Jesus just painted this beautiful picture. Look at verse 23 of Matthew 18. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. So the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is just what I said. It's the place where God rules and reigns. It's the community of people with Jesus at the center. Right? So if you want to hang with Jesus, with him at the center, if you want to be a part of that community and experience the blessings of it, Jesus is telling us right now, what that's going to look like and the kind of people that are there, okay? The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. So this is biblical money speak. And I'm not going to break it all down for you just to say this represents like billions of dollars. Okay, Jesus is talking in hyperbole here. He's talking in extremes to make a point. So you have the king, the servant owes him billions of dollars, okay? Verse 25, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the point here is this is impossible. This is impossible. You can't repay billions of dollars in a thousand lifetimes, okay? Jesus is talking in hyperbole here to make a point. 26, so the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. So what do we have? We have extreme mercy. We have staggering mercy. Billions of dollars, just forgiven. Done. So what happens next? But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. 
small amount of money. Okay, that's a very small amount of money compared to um, 10,000 talents. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So he's got physical violence going on here. Man. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. How do you pay the debt when you're in prison? When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, as they should be, right? Like, we all can put ourselves in the shoes of, of this person. Like, this is messed up. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, he, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Key verse 33. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. Remember what, what I said earlier? It's all about your view. What are you looking at? Do you remember and have in view the mercy of God? Because the logic of the parable is this, right? If that's the case, that's going to affect how I live with other people. The horizontal is going to affect the vertical. You with me? Like that's just super simple logic that Jesus is laying out. Big view of mercy of God on my life is going to translate into me extending big mercy towards others even when they harm me. So how do we go about making this beatitude our natural impulse? See, the, the thing that's, that's interesting is this has very little to do with the person who may have harmed you. And it has way more to do with what you're looking at. It has way more to do with the Lord and your relationship with him, right? See that? Isn't that Jesus' point here? The power to be merciful comes through a miracle of the Holy Spirit where he so opens your eyes so that you can stop the blame shifting and distracting and virtue signaling and trying to climb up the moral high ground. And all you got to do is just remember how merciful God has been with you. That's the point from Jesus. His point is God has been so merciful to us. God has been so merciful to us. Do you see it? Do you marvel at it? Does it stagger you? See, let me just break it down. If, if, if we all experienced divine justice as it should be, it's God in his holiness sees one sin in your life, you're judged immediately, you die, and you go to hell. That's justice. But what I'm looking at this morning in you and in me is we're standing here, we're sitting here, our heart's beating, our breath still comes from lungs that work. The sun rose today on a wicked city again. That's mercy. That's not judgment. That's just mercy, right? You feel that? Like that's the perspective. The sense of entitlement that, yeah, I deserve to have my heart keep beating. I deserve to have the sun rise on Madison. That's, 
that's the opposite. That's going to take you in the opposite direction. But being staggered by the grace and mercy of God that you just simply exist and, and the justice of God has not fallen on you immediately, that's mercy. That's mercy. That's what the Lord wants to be just placed before your vision every second of the day. That's the point. And as we do that, again, let's, re- let's return to the promise. Matthew 5, 7 says, as you do that, and that empowers you to be a person of mercy, you will experience the opposite of those hell on earth scenarios we talked about earlier. You're going to experience blessing. It's a promise from Jesus. It's so motivating in my mind, right? So motivating. Jesus has told us how to pursue blessing. He's excited about us wanting to be blessed. And he's saying, if you want to you have that, just do it my way. And my way is the pathway of mercy. My way is the pathway of mercy. Now, two objections and then we'll be done. Here's number one objection. Like, isn't there a time that we're called to pursue, like, immediately justice? Like, if we just play the mercy card in every single situation, doesn't that mean that, like, the poor and the marginalized just get trampled on in a thousand other scenarios that, that kind of grade against our sensibilities? Doesn't that mean that people who sin against others will just, will just be allowed to continue? Won't this just be a massive enabling project of, of wicked people? Is that what this means? Does this mean that we tolerate sin in the name of showing mercy? No, it doesn't. And that, that's a whole different sermon with a much more biblical nuance that we would need to get into to address that question. But the Bible is clear, just in short, the Bible is clear that we don't just roll over and enable people in their sin in the name of being merciful. It might look like that at the beginning, but that's not what the Bible teaches. But here's the deal. The issue isn't necessarily that we apply mercy in absolutely every circumstance that we come across in life. That's not the issue. The issue is this, that I want I want you to wrestle with this morning. In light of what you have seen in terms of the mercy of God on your life, in light of your own sin, in light of how you've been shown mercy, in light of Matthew 18, the parable of the unmerciful servant, the question is this, what's your default setting? Like what's your knee-jerk impulse? What's your attitude right out of the gate when someone has offended you, when someone has harmed you? Is it right out of the gate like a two-year-old, just revenge? Just whatever comes naturally? Or, Or maybe something just a little more civilized like a cold shoulder? Or is it a mindset that wants to love this person and show mercy if possible, knowing that in this fallen world sometimes mercy that tries to erase the consequences of sin is just not loving or possible, you see? See, the issue is not what do I do in every single instance and how do we measure and weigh the scales of justice and mercy. But the issue I want you to think about this morning is what does your heart look like? What does your heart look like? Has mercy so overtaken my heart that that's the impulse that I find there creeping up first? 
Do you love mercy? Or does it feel like a scandal and you kind of resent it a little bit? That's a good question for us to ask if we truly understand the gospel. Micah 6, 8 says that we are to do justly. And, and here's what he says. He says to love mercy, not, not be indifferent toward mercy, not just be kind of okay with mercy, not to like mercy. No, he says to love mercy. Micah 6, 8. The problem is when we've been harmed and we, we, we sense that God is calling us to, to, to love mercy, it can feel really costly, right? Like, God, do you know what you're asking me to do? Like, this hurts. This feels so bad. And he says, you know what? I know. Mercy does hurt. I experienced it for you. If you want to walk with me, there's going to be, a t- there's going to be times when as we walk, we're going to walk into situations where in the short term it's going to really hurt. But remember what I said in Matthew 5, 7, long term, it's going to bring a blessing, a promise. But we respond and we say, but Jesus, isn't justice ever going to be done? Like if I don't fight for what is right, like who's, who's going to? Like is, is mercy at the expense of judgment? That's what we want to say, right? And, and, and God is so faithful in his word. He addresses this. He addresses this. He knows how we feel. And praise God that we can surrender to his promises. And if you believe what I'm about to read, you'll, you'll sleep better at night. I need this. You need this. Listen to what he says about these questions that we have when it feels so costly. Romans 12 says this. Verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. Here it is, verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Like the Bible says, Paul is quoting the Bible. God says, I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. What does it say? Leave it to the wrath of God. Like leave it. Like set it down. This vengeance impulse, just set it down. Your hands can't carry it. It's too heavy for you. But, but God can. And he's gonna. It's just a matter of like the proverb said earlier, we gotta wait for it. We gotta wait for it. The scales, it's just a promise. Read, read God's word. The scales of justice will be one day perfectly balanced. The temptation is for us to try to play God and be like, no, I know how to, 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 to dish out some justice. My fallen sense of justice, no, it's good. God, you should trust me, and here's what we need to do. No, that's not how it works. God asked us through his word this morning to submit to him and to trust him and to trust his timing. It's not our timing. So by faith, we wait for him. And by faith, we believe his promise. And by faith, we sleep well at night, knowing that there's coming a day when it's all going to be made right. It's all going to be made right. You don't have to control it. So much of this for me is a control issue. Like, I've got to do it. It's all up to me. 
I know it's right. And God says, you might not have it all together. Remember, you're limited. Your vision is limited. You, you don't have the power or the vision or the omnipotence or omniscience to balance scales, but I do. And so I just need you to trust me. Let me just end with this. If you ever questioned if God was serious about justice, all you have to do is look at the cross, right? We emphasize the love of God at the cross. God laying down his life in Jesus for sinners. Yes and amen. God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. Cross equals love of God. But cross also equals justice of God. Right? We have to remember that. God is very, very serious about justice. It will be poured out. The wrath of God will be poured out on sin. It has to. The amazing beauty of the gospel is that it's not poured out on us. It's still poured out. He just bore it himself. Isn't that amazing how justice and mercy are perfectly mingled at the cross? So take heart if you're just so antsy and, and not sure if you can trust God. You can trust him. He's serious about justice. The cross shows it. But it also shows that you have the ability to go free. And you've been a recipient of massive mercy. And been given this gift of going free and being adopted into the family of God. So let that truth empower your mercy as we seek the blessing and taste and see how sweet it is. Let's pray.